This is a world of hidden mics and two-way mirrors. A world where nothing is private. Do you think we can do this? Later in the week. Harry Call is an expert. The best there is. Let me tell you something about Harry Call. The best bar none. I'll drink to that. The best what? The best bugger on the West Coast. What about me? He can bug anybody, anytime, anywhere. Nobody knows how you did it, though, Harry. Caused a hell of a scandal, too. Look, did you see him? The man with the hearing aid, like Charles. He's been following us all They're not people to him, just voices. Three people were murdered, that's all. He doesn't know them, and they don't know him. Uh, had nothing to do with me. I mean, I just turned in the tapes. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. I've been involved in some work that I think, I think will be used to hurt these two young people. episode number 602 of the podcast. We're living in crazy times. I hope as this podcast reaches you that you and your family are okay, safe and healthy. I hope that um, there are folks in leadership roles, certainly in in, uh, the health profession, that uh, can lead us out of this. Of course, it's not just us, but um, the most concerning part of this whole thing is that the inmates are running the asylum. Uh, I am feeling well at the moment, and um, you know, if you listen to the last episode, I was not, but I have regained my health. And uh, anyway, so there are obviously common flus and viruses going around as well as coronavirus. So just uh, don't panic and take care of yourselves and avoid those things that make us the most vulnerable. This episode pays tribute to one of my favorite films from the uh, 70s. It's one of the seminal 70s films uh, from one of the seminal 70s filmmakers. I had received a word that Rialto Pictures is bringing back Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation back into theaters. It's coming right up. Uh, it's going to be in New York anyway. It's going to be at Film Forum from March 20th through April 2nd for a two-week theatrical, which is wonderful. Rialto is, a, I guess, a New York-based specialty distributor, and they worked with the Coppola folks to uh, make a new print. Uh, 35-millimeter, personally supervised by Mr. Coppola. Uh, the rollout also offers theaters an alternate DCP restoration remixed in Dolby 5.1. All overseen by the legendary sound designer Walter Murch, along with a brand new poster and trailer. 
Francis Ford Coppola says, I've always been especially proud of the conversation, probably because it was from my own original story and screenplay. I counted among the most personal of all my films, and I'm happy the movie became the very thing it was about, invasion of privacy and its erosive impact on both victims and perpetrators. This was my goal when I conceived it over 40 years ago, and to my surprise, the idea still resonates today. I'm glad Rialto is bringing the film back into theaters so people can experience it the way it was first presented on the big screen. I myself, Adam Shartoff, host of FilmWax Radio, never saw it on the big screen, regretfully, but maybe now I will be able to, even though I've watched this film a number many, many times over the years, many, many times. In fact, I, as you will hear in a moment, because we're bringing someone on from American Zotrope, that I did, in fact, watch it again for, I don't know, the eighth or ninth time in anticipation of this conversation. So I would be curious to see this new print on a big screen, I must say. And Film Forum will show it on 35mm. The conversation stars five-time Academy Award nominee Gene Hackman in one of his greatest roles as Harry Call, a surveillance expert who finds himself caught up in murder. The astonishing supporting cast includes such future luminaries as John Cazale, Fredo himself, uh, Cindy Williams from uh, Laverne Shirley, of course, and American Graffiti, Frederick Forrest of Apocalypse Now, Terry Garr, and Harrison Ford and even Robert Duvall in a very small role, but memorable, memorable. A masterpiece of societal paranoia in the guise of a techno-thriller, the conversation follows lonely wiretapping expert and devout Catholic Harry Call, who's hired to record a seemingly innocuous conversation between two lovers in uh, San Francisco's Union Square. Upon rehearing the tapes, however, Call believes he may be putting the couple in danger if he turns the material over to his client, but what one hears can ultimately turn out to be quite different from what was actually recorded. Again, the conversation was written, produced, and directed by Francis Ford Coppola with Fred Roos as a co-producer, music by David Shire, and production designed by Dean Tavalaris, and cinematography by Bill Butler. It will be, at the, again, at New York's Film Forum in a 35mm print, March 20th through April 2nd. It will be at the uh, landmark New Art Theater in uh, Los Angeles, also in a 35-millimeter print, uh, March 20th through the 26th. It will be in Berkeley at uh, Bamfa in a 35-millimeter print, uh, March 20th. I guess it's a single screening. Portland, Oregon, the Hollywood Theater, 35-millimeter, April 3rd through the 5th. And then uh, in various cities... Generally in a DCP, though there are some exceptions, I know it uh, in uh, Minneapolis at the Trilon and at Austin, in Austin, Texas, at the for uh, shown by the Austin Film Society, they will be showing it at 35 millimeter prints. You can visit the Rialto Pictures website for more details. So today's guest is James Mikowski. He's head of production and archives at American Zotrope for 20 years. And he is on the episode. Let's go to um, a conversation about the conversation with uh, James Mikowski uh, right here on Film Wax Radio. Yes. How'd you get this phone number? 
We prepare a full dossier on everyone. It's terrific. <laughs> the bugger got fucked, huh? Do you have secrets, Harry? I know you do. Tell me about yourself. Your secrets. I don't have any secrets. Don't get involved in this, Mr. Cole. Those tapes are dangerous. Come on, Harry. Show and tell. How do you do it? Why are you asking me all these questions? Gene Hackman is Harry Call in The Conversation. There is nothing private about The Conversation. Listen. My name is Harry Call. Can you hear me? Uh, so why don't we just get started? It was funny before you we we started the phone call. I was squeezing in one more viewing of the conversation because this kind of snuck up on me rather quickly. Our, you know, our, this 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 conversations, our conversation, as opposed to the conversation. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it so many times, James. I probably can recite the dialogue forward and backwards at this point. This happens to be one of my favorite movies of all time, so I'm very excited to talk to you about it. And I was very excited to hear that they were creating a new print and getting a new release theatrically. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. This is it. I've been with Francis for about 20 years. I started in uh, 2001, 2002 with him. And Conversation was the first film that I started with uh, when I joined the company with him. Wait, so take a step back, though. So before that, what are you saying, that you had not seen The Godfather yet? Or No, I, well, I, no I'm well aware of Francis's career, and I, Fra- Conversation was one that always stood out in my head. That, that was the film. I loved that film. Uh, and, you know, I, luckily, <laughs> I wrote Francis a letter uh, out of UCLA. I was an archivist at UCLA, for a mm-hmm. time. And I said, you know, I was born and raised in Northern California. Uh, Francis found a way to make films in Northern California. And I said, you know, I'd love to be able to find a way to come back up to the Bay Area and uh, work, w- work with your collection and asked me to come up. And 20 years later here, I'm st- I am still doing uh uh, working with his film collection, and uh, I, it's it's been I've been very lucky uh, to to and fortunate to be with him for this for this long. So, but conversation uh, was the film that he was working on at that time. They were gonna they were thinking of doing the uh, a restoration of it, and they had uh, uh, completed it at a lab that's no longer called CFI in in uh, L.A. Hollywood. Uh, and I sat there. And said, "Well, this this is this is wonderful. This is a film I absolutely love. And here I am sitting in the lab reviewing the, the film. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel myself very lucky. So in other words, this was your first project in the job, on the job, right? When you when you joined yeah. American Zotrope. It, it, it's funny because that restoration is what we what we made those prints from. Uh, it was a restoration. It was one of the last photochemical restorations we did, and we never could get it steam behind it to make a product, uh, do distribution. Uh, and what, 20 years later, 2020, we worked out a deal with Rialto, and now we were making prints off that negative that I, I saw 20, <laughs> 20 years ago. So uh, it's, it's, it's come full circle. Do you know now the history 
of the film. Uh, you know, we know it came out between the Godfather films, right? So it, it was released originally in 1974. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of this bunch of, of films coming out that dealt with the subject of paranoia at the time, I believe. Do you know much of this history? Was it? I know it, it ended up being nominated for lots of awards, both Oscars as well as Golden Globes. But, uh, I mean, as far as the way it was received on a popular level, was it popular at the time, or do you know much about it? it uh, critically, it, it did re- rather well as a mass audience, you know, it, it, for like a lot of Francis's films, it, yeah. it, it doesn't hit right off. It takes a while for it to <laughs> percolate. And that's that was what the conversation. It was res- it res- uh, got a good reception on Cannes, <laughs> where we we won that year. We got nominated in in the Academy, uh, so it it got critically successful. But box office wise, you know, it's a, another yeah. thing. But that's with all of Francis's is films, you know. So uh, it it's an interesting one because being between Godfather One and Godfather Two. Uh, Francis was able to do Godfather 2. However, he was in the midst of fit, wrapping up conversation. So he sort of turns everything over to Walter Murch, the sound design and everything, and said, okay, here, you you take it on. I have to go over and work on Godfather 2. Uh, so, uh, and that's the nice thing that Fran- Francis always does. He has a great team of people that he developed sure, back sure. in the seventies and still uses today. I mean, Walter is still very much part of uh, the, the family, and he has this trust. He has these relationships. He knows what he got with these people, and and it relied on them. And you know, look look at the conversation and the sound design is still fantastic to listen to today. Well, it is all about sound, so that's very meta. That the sound design is such a an important component of the film because, of course. It's all about sound, right, and audio surveillance. So it should be what people hear and the differences people hear, and and yes. uh, the subtlety of it. And like, you, I'm not sure he interprets it different, you know. So and well, yes, and that's that's the beauty of the film. It it's the psychological story behind it, where Gene Hackman, of course, plays Harry Call, who brings a lot of baggage. He's so repressed on so many levels that he still hasn't processed this this experience of a past job that he he did apparently in New York years earlier. He's now in San Francisco and has a great reputation, but something from his past work haunts him. In sort of an unnerving way that he you know he he's a man you could see that he has complete control of everything, but he sort of loses it towards the end. You know, it's like these things that the past crime or the past thing that we that sort of is a seed that sort of unravels who he is. You know, and then we find that he becomes unhinged at the end. Very much so, yeah. I think it really just dawned on me this time that the ghost from his past, this this uh, thing that's nagging at him that he has not resolved. Someone was harmed in some past job, right? So it affects the way he hears the current tape in the current job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he interprets it incorrectly because he's hearing it through this filter of, again, this haunted filter or whatever you want to call it. So it's, it's just magnificent. Well, you have this person who... <laughs> Anyone in that job sort of has to have this uh, filter or sort of this wall between the job, the professional, being closed, being very cold, and no emotions in getting between. 
and but here you see at the end he's, he's obviously catholic he obviously is deeply religious yeah. and that sort of permeates look maybe i am wrong maybe there's something just nagging at him it's like i i can't be detached <laughs> you know yeah also you mentioned that he has this team walter Murch and whomever on the uh, production side of things but also his actors he's worked with uh i mean john Cazal is in this film again one of the handful of films that Cazal was in right yeah, I mean, we feel fortunate. He's had such a great career, unfortunately, a very short career. Yeah. Uh, having him win for, as Fredo, uh, it, it it's amazing just to have the films that we have, the two films, the three films with, with Cazell. Uh, and what an amazing character actor. Um, and we feel like we've he's ta- taken away too early. Yeah, very much so. One other interesting fact is that every every film he was in was, I think, nominated for Best Picture. Is that is that what it was? Is that I think so? Because he was in uh, Dog Day After Dog Day Afternoon. Blah blah blah. And then of course Harrison Ford in Early Picture and uh, Terry Gars in it. Just a wonderful cast. Cindy Williams, Frederick Forrest, Duvall, of course. Yes. Oh, and um, I I don't know. I fell in love with the conversation years and years ago and it's one of those films like you know so many other classics that every it keeps giving with every repeated viewing uh, it, it has to be under the fil- filter of what's going on today what was going on in, in the 70s we're under the midst of watergate we, 40 f- f- uh, 40 years 50 years later we're we're still kind of having this political mess going on and in that filter looking at this film it's like completely it resonates right. still. I believe so. I believe so. The perfect phone call, right? Perfect and then phone it's, call. It's exactly and then it's, right. And then it's a saved on some server, some, uh, you know, anyway. What, with the conversation, what I liked about it, uh, it, it was local. I mean, I'm from the Bay Area. I was born in yes. Santa Cruz. Uh, this thing was so San Francisco. It was it was everywhere. All those sites. It's just a great local film. And that's what I really love is this... You know, you don't. You kind of get it still, but not as much as what they did in the '70s, where you did this great uh, location shooting, and uh, it, it, and having it being in their hometown is just that, that's what I really loved. So, and then mm. Francis, right. moving up to the Bay Area, I mean, he was he, he, he was crazy at that time. It was like, well, everybody's making movies in Hollywood, uh, but Francis and George and, and Walter, they they didn't want to be there all their lives. They want to they touch it, and sure, that's you know where all the studios and where all the business and all the films coming from. But you know, he wanted to be a little bit keep from a distance on the periphery of the whole thing. And setting his roots up here in, in Northern California for him gave him that sort of different perspective than just being kind of right in the midst of the the soup. <laughs> that's correct, and it obviously benefited the conversation tremendously. The entire the opening sequence. All takes place in in Union the Union Square in in San Francisco, and as a matter of fact, I remember on a, a some years back when I w- went to San Francisco. It might have been my second trip in my lifetime, but I went back some years ago, and I made it my a pilgrimage to Union Square just to just, just see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's changed a bit, but it was I was still there, and I was able to walk around it and uh, have my my moment of uh, being in that location, knowing that. Francis shot the conversation, or at least the opening, yeah. um, there. You know, no, and and a lot of the sites are still still there. When we did the last Blu-ray, I went around 
San Francisco to try to find all the link uh, the locations. Harry oh, Hill's wow. workshop, and it still it still looks like his workshop. They didn't build anything out of that. It's still an empty uh, attic. Oh, right. Really, at Petrero Hill. Yeah. What neighborhood is is that warehouse? Is in? it? It's by uh, Petrero Hill. Okay, I'm not familiar with that area. But as I was just watching it again tonight, just to keep it real fresh in my mind, I I was wondering specifically where that location was. I can give uh, you the address, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, right off by uh, 280, I believe. Um, yeah. Very good. So anyway, I just want to, I guess I should mention that the conversation, if you haven't seen it, this is an opportunity to see it on the, I, you know, I've never seen it on the big screen, so... Uh, I guess I'll take myself over to Film Forum, where it will have its uh, new theatricals on March 20th in New York. Yeah, and then the, the nice thing uh, um, about this Prince is that it has Walter's mix that he did back in the late uh, 90s or 2000. He did a new 5-1. And the thing about uh, that, that evolution, in 1974, it was right at that transition between mono and stereo. Most theaters at that time were still mono and hadn't really converted to stereo. So Walter made that decision to keep his mix in mono with the ability that if things changed, he could go to stereo. But 40 years later, when he remixed it, 5-1, after he did Apocalypse Now, 5-1 jumped to every theater, converted, and and mixed conversation for 5-1. So the new prince will have the new 5-1 mix. And and your role... On the conversation specifically, where what did you? Do? I'm the uh, archivist. I take care of Francis' so, film collection, so I did the uh, I I oversaw right. the restoration. I see. Yeah. So are are you actually like sitting with the the technicians? How much hands on are you? Uh, well, we in the photochemical world, which this was done. Uh, that is done at the lab. I will be sitting down for the color timing and working or have our DP. At that time, uh, Bill Butler was in and did the timing and made sure the color was done. And so we had a good reference print to use to to create these new three prints. Uh, my, uh, but since I, that was a restoration that was done at the lab, the 4K digital restorations that we do now, like I did for Apocalypse, I'll be doing the hands-on cleaning, uh, all the dirt removal, scratch removal, chemical stain removal. Uh, That is done in-house. And then I'll deliver it. If we want to make a new negative, then I would work with PhotoCam or whomever to make a new negative uh, of that. So you learned this at at school? Well, that was sort of self-taught because uh, we were working with a cotton club since 2011. And... That was a project that kept going and needed a lot of restoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was material that uh, we lost nine minutes of original negative, and we had to go and find uh, copies of it, answer prints, uh, uh, dailies that had the shots that we that we were missing that needed a lot of work. And that kept ticking away, kept adding more and more hours at the lab. So... Uh, that was a time of discoveries. Like maybe I should get the software. I sort of learn our myself. And the first one, wow. uh, restoration that we did, we did Francis's first film, which was uh, Dementia Thirteen from nineteen sixty-three. Sure. Then we did Tucker. Roger Corman. Roger, right? yes, Roger Corman, and then Tucker uh, that he did in the eighties. 
Uh, and Fra- uh, Sophia's first film, Lick the Star. So we got a good amount of films uh, under our belt that we felt, okay, we could tackle Apocalypse. And that we did Apocalypse, the 1979 version, the director's cut from 2000, and the new cut, final cut. The 2000 one, is that the reduction? Yeah. yeah the- okay, yeah. I remember going to see that in the theaters. Because... <laughs> When when it originally opened, I was too talking about apocalypse. I was too frightened, you know, intimidated because of the word of mouth about it. I was very, I would have been very young. Well, how old are you? I would have been four years old. A little older than that. <laughs> yeah. Seventy nine. Yeah, no, I would have been a, a teenager. I would have been in. Uh, let's see, maybe a June, freshman in high school. Anyway, but still a little. That would have been a little intense. So well, it, I did it certainly would have woke it. you up. It was a, it would have been a uh, sure that, some cold water. Yes, it would have been a coming of age moment for me. Absolutely, <laughs> I would have definitely have grown some hair, harem, <laughs> which I eventually did. I saw it. I still was pretty. I think I, it must have been eighteen or something when I saw it on somebody's a VHS, you know, and was I, I just loved it though. When I just saw, oh, what's the big deal here? You know, I mean, I I, I mean. I could yeah. appreciate how intense it was, but so finally, when Redux came out, and I think it was at the um, oh crap, where which theater was it? I think it was at not the Z- yeah the Zigfield. I think there was at the. It Zigfield. would have been the Zigfield because Francis yeah. always loved the Zigfield, and that's sure. where it, show, it, it opened in 1979. Yeah. Well, if he could have brought, if he could help bring it back, that would be great. Yeah. You know, maybe that's uh, reaching a little too much. But anyway, yeah, I saw I saw Redux there. And while I felt like, you know, the additional footage maybe was but it was great to see as a fan. You know, it was like a, a it was like a real gift, you know, because even if this wasn't going to if it felt it like it might have been extraneous footage on some level, like it, it made sense that it was excised that storyline of the, you know, the French family from the adaptation. The, exactly, but at the same time, I felt like what a, what a great thing to get this extra story. It's like a um, for for a real fan of his, it was uh, wonderful, you know. And I think I have a copy somewhere around of that. I just keep getting them as they release them. There's certainly different experience, you know. People right. have different camps and they fall, but uh, it, it, for Francis. Uh, the French plantation sequences is so much of him as a filmmaker. He, the family dynamics around a dinner table and mm-hmm. how it just sort of devolves. It just sort of falls apart at, at, at the end. And that, that for any of Francis's films, that's just one of his themes that, that he loves just having family conversation. Uh, and that's the moment it happens around a dinner table. And that French plantation for him was always so personal. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. I remember, uh, I guess in Godfather, is it Godfather? The first one where the brothers are sitting around the, the table yeah. and Yeah. And of course, and there are lots of family. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, okay. this is and this, that's so personal to him because that's for his family, you know, or anyone's family. It just speaks to you know uh, us as humans. That this is just where we have that that dynamics. It's we share everything around the dinner table, and that's Francis is oh loves just capturing that. So anytime in the film, he's just like that's where he's the best. Just take me back. I know I'm bouncing about a little bit, but just take me back to. I guess 2000, that's when you joined American Zootrope? About, yeah. Around there. And you obviously, you had seen a number of, I guess, his films as a young man, I'm guessing. Yeah, for me, oh, these. yes. I, I uh, Actually, I would say the last one I had seen, uh, and the first time I saw it was Redux in in, in L.A. In, at the Wilshire. Oh, okay. 
And so that was the first time I actually seen Apocalypse. I had seen most of everything that Francis had done, except for that uh, Apocalypse at that point. Right. You had said already that you had reached out to him as a, as a student. Yeah. So it makes sense that you did that because you were already a fan, or at least you know you had a lot of respect for him. And then he responds to your letter. Mm-hmm. Now, is that a phone call or is that a a letter back? How how, how do you hear oh, back? At that time, it was an email. <laughs> so makes sense. Yes. Uh, and then just inviting invited me up to see the archive and to see how things were kept at that time. They were just wrapping up uh, Redux. And that is when they were sort of like, you know, that was pretty messy. It was a very hard endeavor of going through the vaults, uh, going through the warehouses, really, and, and trying to find all the negative that they need for the French plantation and the other shots for the film. And so my, my, I had good timing. Because they were going to start Outsiders and one from the heart, and they just didn't want to repeat what the the experience that they had with Redux, and they wanted me to come in and sort of really formalize the archive and the vault and get everything cleaned up and cataloged to try to make the endeavor of doing the future restorations a little easier for them. So you're invited to come up and see the archive or to check yeah, out? Yeah, I was invited. Uh, I first came to 916 Kearney Street, which where we started uh, Zoetrope uh, in, in North, uh, North Beach in San Francisco. I came there, had lunch, and then I went up to where Francis lives up in R- Rutherford and Napa Valley. And that's where we had one of the vaults and came to take a look at basically a warehouse uh, filled with film material right. with not proper ventilation, proper storage conditions. It was just, it was a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Hello? Did I lose you? Yeah, for just for a second. Yeah. Just for a second. It was a warehouse, you said. It was a warehouse, yeah. And then they had a library. Francis bought the Archeo library uh, in the 90s with George Lucas, and they had formed a, a production library. And Francis always loved to have a library that he could use for research mm-hmm. and others could use and tap in. Uh, so I got to see uh, his library and archive. And for Francis, libraries, archives are something he always supported and always wanted to make sure. He never threw anything away. And he always instilled that on, on George Lucas, too, because George has a beautiful estate with all everything, every prop that he made, every fil- film, video, sound, asset. They kept it because one day they may want to use it, uh, maybe use it for another project or go back and re- tinker around with its cuts like Apocalypse and Redux. Amazing. It's tremendous. And, and But just, just take me back a little bit, though, to meeting him. Uh, what, what, what is he like? Is he just a regular guy? Uh, Francis, for me, is a he's a family man he, with his uh, children, Sophia and Roman. Uh, it's a very close family, uh, and it's it's been an honor to work with him. And mm-hmm. he sort of treats everyone sort of like we work together. We're all collaborators. Um, and you know, I've I've, I've been here you know, twenty years. I, I obviously long I like time. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. So, and the thing is with Francis, he gives you. The ability to just sort of explore, he'll, or he'll say he sees something in you, and he says, "You know, why don't you do the distribution of my film?" And I'm like, "Well, Francis, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do." And he says, "Well, you know, get a shot. I think you could do it." 
well, you could probably you, you're not gonna do any worse than the last so, <laughs> so give it a shot like well and that scares the hell out of you but you sort of you know sink or swim you sort of rise to the challenge you know and so uh that always appreciated you know i, I always think you know i'm in a corporation or something they were getting pigeonholed but at least i right. have the ability to be uh, flexible to i i i and i, I if i make a mistake you know it's understanding but we've learned from it and, and uh, I've sort of grown because of that, and, and, and with Francis, uh, uh, the ability of doing the restoration in house, you mm-hmm. know, that was a risk. We didn't know how we would do, but we did it. We jumped in. We've done very well for for us, and that's always been sort of the zoetrope mantra. It's like, you know, we're a bunch of people that love the art, we love the craft. Let, let's just do it. You know, if we fail, we fail. Uh, we succeed, we succeed. You know, but we're all having fun. We're all enjoying it. Well, that's important. I guess maybe if you like wine, though, that helps too, right? Well, that's <laughs> been always helpful you know, for, uh, yeah. for the film company, you know. So that always rode the the waves, the bad the, the bad years uh, of the films. It could uh, the wine helped it ease the pain. So he's he's good at <laughs> diversification. Right. So what is uh, after uh, the conversation, and we'll, we'll go into a little bit more of the details about how people can see it, the new print, which will be uh, this spring. I know he's working on a new project altogether, Megalopolis, but what, what are you going to be focusing on after this project? Well, uh, I hope uh, we have the next, I'm trying to look at the anniversaries, you know, the next one we have probably one from the heart and Outsiders is definitely some two titles that I would really like to do, and I think Outsiders would do extremely well, and it's mm-hmm. long overdue for a proper restoration. We did something uh, back in early 2000, but with with the new tools and what we can do, we, we certainly can give it a better presentation. Wow. It's amazing, right? Uh, you, you have to wonder, like, in another 20 years, what will be available and what, what will be possible. Yeah, you know, I wonder this too. You know, I wonder this about the apocalypse. You know, I th- I feel after doing our 4K restoration, you know, people talk about 8K or 16K or whatever. Yeah. You think, yes, right, right. But there's really there's really no uh, no reward there. There's, there's there's not much more you can get out of the uh, out of the negative. The, inf- the information is sort of kind of capped at 4K. You might get a little bit more information depending on on the on the film and the negative. But generally, we are at a very good time in uh, in, in film history and in restoration and enjoying classic films. Because if we do a proper 4K restoration, you're seeing it better than it's ever looked before. It's like a first-run print, you know, like Apocalypse. It looks so filmic. It looks like it's something back in 1979, you know. And mm-hmm. you got that. But minus some of the, a lot of the chemical stains that happened during the lab process, we're able to remove and get a little bit better uh, in, in the presentation. I would love an opportunity to come up at some point and make my way there and check out your the uh, the spot up there where you're working. Yeah, um, we had a great mixing facility up in Napa, and we actually, because of the apocalypse, and the conversation was mixed there too. Walter does all his mixes up in, in Rutherford uh, at our mixing stages, and uh, we were we, we are treated to some great technology. Uh, mm-hmm. We still use people who were the ones working with the speaker systems for setting up the uh, six track in the 70 millimeter release. They're still around and they're still making spe- great speakers. And they made a new low frequency speaker uh, called the VLFs. And that 
that I don't know if you've experienced it, but the the subwoofer, the 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 low end in Apocalypse Now, like the arc light, the explosions. Uh, happen at a certain it's like and the helicopter were you know the, the, the hab yeah the the, the, ro- the rotor yeah the rotors yes yeah and francis for the arc light sequence francis says you know what i really want what if you really experienced an arc light explosion you felt it before you ever heard it and that moment where he meets duval for the first time and they go like what well what's that they're sunbathing on board the deck uh, of the ship mm-hmm. and and they go well what's that and they're like arc light they felt it and he says, that's the moment I want to hit people in the chest because this is going to be fucking crazy. This this is going to be a nightmare for them. That's the moment it sets that tone that it scares the hell out of people. And that low frequency, they built these big 300-pound subwoofer speakers that can go a whole octave lower than traditional subwoofers in movie theaters. Wow. And wow. in our barn, it shakes the entire building. It feels like an earthquake. And that's what Francis said. In 1979, I really wanted to do that. I wanted to census around that, that experience that Universal had done uh, for Earthquake and Roller Coaster. And, and he says, I, I would wish I could have that for Apocalypse. But he went to Universal and he said, well, you, you know, you're going to have to pay a lot of money for that. And he's like, this thing is already crazy over budget. <laughs> There's no way I can do that. And I've already put in a lot of, a, a, a lot of new, uh, new technology in, in making this film. So he felt good, but... 40 years later, we were able to go back to that concept and offer that sort of that experience. Well, it sounds as though maybe Apocalypse might be a close second in terms of your favorite films then. As far you know, um, as far as Apocalypse is that that it, it's completely different spectrums. Conversation is this kind of low-key mellow. It's a, it's just haunting. Right. But what what conversation is it? Apocalypse and I'll just like completely in your face loud. <laughs> Uh, abusive to every well, sense. <laughs> yeah, but it also I think reflects where where Francis was probably at in his own life and career at the time. Uh, I would say it's like sort of in flux or in sort of the limbo because it's either make or break was for him at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, he's it's like it's all or nothing, and he was just like I'm going to put all myself into it. You know, and um, yeah. but you know, going back to conversation, a conversation versus apocalypse. Conversation was something was personal to him. He wrote, he directed, he produced it. That right. was a film that he wanted to do. Rain People was a, a type of film that he wanted to do. They were personal stories for him. And that was the filmmaker he saw himself as. Godfather was a deter. That was sort of out of necessity. The company was going broke. George says, well, they're offering you that. You should do it because uh, what, what are we going to do? We're broke. And it was a lucky circumstance. And he'd see that. Well, you know, if I didn't do it, of course, I, I, I would be broke. I wouldn't be, be able to make the films that I, I, I'm known for. So, um, but it was not what he saw himself as, uh, as a filmmaker. Apocalypse was sort of this hybrid. Uh, it was not one of the film that he wrote. That was John Melius. Uh, mm-hmm. John was doing another project. George decided to go to Star Wars. <laughs> and so he's like, what? what what's the, what was the name of that one? What was the name I of that film? I'm sorry, I missed sorry, it. Was, uh, Star Wars? Probably. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> what a waste of his time. Yeah. And, and uh, so he was left with the only thing that Zoetrope owned, which was uh, Apocalypse. So again, another sort of happy circumstance. But one that he was like, at that point, 
he had to sort of give everything that he that was left in him to make that film. I have no idea what the new film is about. I mean, I haven't really looked into it very much other than a little bit of what I've heard. But I've, I, every time I think, oh, man, I would just love to see a new Francis Ford Coppola but a, a little story, you know, almost like his own. He was doing independent films, but I'd like to see another one like that, like The Conversation, you know, like Rain People again. I, I would just love to see it. I don't. Uh, well, that's what he says when, when he came sort of out uh, after Jack and, you know, they had a bit of a hiatus of 10, 10 some years of not making a film. And he jumps right. in uh, and loved the work of Murchie Eliotta uh, and, and made Youth Without Youth. That was personal to him. Tetro mm-hmm. was a very personal film. Twixt. So these were things that were not studio. They were not for mass appeal. They were just films for himself. He was making stories that resonated for him, uh, for him and who he was personally mm-hmm. and as a filmmaker. So he has sort of gone, gone back to that. Right. I remember I actually saw him introduce Youth After Youth in New York some years ago. They're almost experimental in nature. There's a component to them that is a little bit more experimental. There, certainly, uh, Francis is always seen, sees himself as a student. Uh, every time you know he goes and does a lecture, they call it, you know, like in Europe, they call it a master class. He's like, I am not teaching a master class. I'm a student. I, I would rather just ask questions, answer questions, you know, and just be kind. He doesn't see himself as sort of uh, someone who knows it all. He wants he wants to experiment with new technology. He wants to uh, just listen to what other people and other fields are doing. And that he, he see, that's another thing is uh, what Francis loves is like if some other field not related to filmmaking, he will he'll see what Google or Apple is doing and say, yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, let's try to adapt that some way into filmmaking, story time, storytelling, you know. And uh, his recent project, Distant Vision, was like that. He got a camera due to live television. He always loved live television in the 50s. And it's like, well, how sure. do I adapt new streaming technology that MLB or or, or Amazon is doing uh, and, 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 and try to do this live? Um, so he, he, he loves to just tinker and, and do it. Sometimes, you know, something nothing comes out of it. Something does, you know, and you never, you just never know. But he's, he wants to experiment. He, he doesn't care of falling, you know. Well, the conversation is going to be, um, is it going to be in, in San Francisco? It's, or I see it's at Berkeley, but it, it says more dates to come. One in, in San Francisco, yeah, but they're adding more dates each day. But, uh, it's got a good response. I mean, after the press release a couple of days ago, it's been, people generally seem excited about that, which is great. Well, first of all, if you love film and you haven't seen the conversation, then you got to rethink if you love film because you, you, it's, it's like you, you have to see it. And once you do, it's going to be one of your favorite films. I, I'm just I don't really see how it couldn't be. That's that's a very, very uh, biased opinion. But this is a this is terrific that I, when I got this press release, I was like, oh, my goodness. This is uh, great news for me because except I, for uh, except for Fred Forsythe. Well, yeah, that that I I, I, I was, <laughs> I was like, like, what the heck? Um, <laughs> well, watch, you know, just see, <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's going to be in New York at, at the Film Forum, as I mentioned, a new thirty-five millimeter print, supervised by Francis Ford Coppola. That'll be March twentieth, also in Los Angeles, same day at the landmark New Art Theater. Uh, I guess you can go to the Rialto 
website, I'm guessing. No, yeah, it's, uh, it's posted on the main page there. We'll put a link. Yeah, and more will be added, it sounds like. Correct? It's been growing. Yeah. As it should. So. It, it, that's correct. <laughs> which has been nice. It's like the uh, we we had DCP of this for. I was like, no, no, we make we're gonna make thirty five millimeter. That that was like key for people, and that what people got really excited about to see this on film, which they should. Yes, and uh, there's fortunately there's still lots of theaters that are doing that. Yeah, uh, uh, the Alamo Draft House is down in Texas. There are did they do they actually project thirty five millimeter? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. But no, they don't. I think it's yeah. all digital. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that that would be impossible. Uh, but let's say at the Austin Film Society, they do. So if you're listening, check the uh, Rialto uh, website for details and which you know venues are playing it on 35 millimeter and which are not. This has been great. I really am serious. I do want to come. I got to come up there and check out what you're doing over there. It sounds really exciting. I always invite people. No, no one never takes me up on my offer. But if you're if you are in the area, you're you're certainly uh, invited to to see what we're all what we're all cooking up up here. I appreciate it. I have not been up there in a while. I am I, I'm guilty as well of not getting up there as often as I'd like because uh, when I do go to Cal- when I get to California, I'm usually going to Los Angeles, which is probably what most people are doing that tell you they're going to come up and, <laughs> and visit. This is true. This is true. Well, I appreciate your giving me the time and helping me make this happen so quickly. I'm so glad we're able to uh, plug the. Uh, the um, re-release. Yeah, yeah, well, it's been it's been a pleasure, and I'm glad people are excited and generally in, interested in it. So that's the idea. Let as many people also know that it's happening, and um, hopefully, hopefully, they'll be embracing this and getting out to the theaters to see it. And like I said, I think at the beginning, I, as much as I love this film, and you know now that I do, I have actually really never seen it on the big screen. So I will definitely be going. Yeah, and listen for it. Listen to Walter's merch and mix in, in 5-1. I think you'll... Yeah. You'll... I would hope... I don't know if anybody's going to be presenting or rather doing like a Q&A in New York. I wonder, because I assume that... If, I if think one... Grealta's trying to find you, um, find people. Uh, generally, I'm the sure, last yeah. couple of cast members are still down in, in, in L.A. Uh, so, and Walter is not, not here at the moment, so... Uh, Mm-hmm. I think they're just trying to figure out who who they can ask. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, again, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Uh, and, uh, same here. And if you have any questions, you know how to get a hold of me. I will. I appreciate it. And um, again, thank you. And yeah. enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much. And you have a good evening as well. Thanks so much. Sally Potter and her new film, The Road's Not Taken, as well as the team behind uh, a new film called 
the climb director michelangelo Covino and actor co-writer kyle marvin we also have the um coming up the team behind a new film called blow the man down and uh much more much more coming up here on the show thank you for listening i usually close each show saying you know take care of yourselves and the ones you love uh, has a special resonance now do take care of yourselves and the ones you love and we'll be back next week take care